0: Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you're brand new, I'm Tyler. Uh, we are in a new series titled, I Believe. Everybody say, I believe. I believe. Turn your Bibles to John 14. Let's get in the Word. This is where the power's at. Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, why would he say that? Well, in John 13, Jesus said, hey, just to give you a heads up, that I'm about to be betrayed, I'm about to be killed, I'm about to be um, crucified for mankind. And so all the disciples are like, Whoa, I mean, what just happened, man? We're, you're walking on water, uh, you're doing amazing things. What, why is this going to happen? Why, why do we have to go to a valley? We really like the peak, Lord. Don't, I don't talk about the valley, I don't walk in a valley. But he says, when a valley comes, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And can you imagine going to a doctor and a doctor saying, don't be sick. Oh, uh, thanks, doc. You're amazing. No, the, the doctor diagnoses the sickness and then gives you an antidote, a medicine for the sickness. And God is the great doctor, the great healer. And so he troubles the sickness. If I'm being honest, the, one of the greatest sicknesses in our culture today is just being troubled and being worried. So he diagnoses the sickness. Says, Do not be troubled. Here's the medicine. You ready? Believe in God and believe also in me. He goes on to say, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself and where I, am, uh, where I am, you may also be. Stop. Basically what he's saying is when you're worried about your future, no, I'm working on your future. When you're worried about things going awry, look at my character. I'm preparing a place in heaven for you. If I'm doing that, you don't think I'm gonna intervene on earth and do things for you here on earth? Do not be troubled, believe in my father and believe also in me, believe in my character, my power. If if I could just be honest, do you actually believe that God could change your spouse, could change your marriage if it's in a bad place? Because you know you're not called to change your spouse, you're called to love your spouse. Do you believe that God could change your kids? Maybe your kids are awry. Do you think that your God could actually change them or do you think you need to change them? Called to love your kids, not change your kids. Here's a big one, do you believe that God could actually transform the Bay Area? like revival status, like the least church region becomes the most church region, a region that's known for affluency where people come here to get rich, but now they actually come here to give and give their life away and be generous. Do you believe that God could do that? Because we're not called to change the Bay Area, we're called to love the Bay Area. Why it's so important for this series for you to understand why we're doing it is your beliefs affect your behaviors. If you don't believe it, why would you pray it? If you don't believe it, why would you sacrifice for it? If you don't believe it, why would you risk everything for it? So Jesus is saying, don't be troubled. Believe in who I am. You guys want to believe in who God is? Yeah. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for the gift that it is to be able to just read your word, preach your word, hear your word. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that my words would fall to the floor and that your word would do what it says it does. Lord, that it would, that it would uh, bring life, that it would bring fruit, that it would bring abundance. Lord, that it would set people free. So, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. And everybody said? Amen. So today's title of I Believe is I Believe in Revival. Everybody say revival. Revival. Turn to your neighbor and say revival. Revival. Come on. Say it with some some Pentecostalism, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Come on, come on. Now, uh, real quick, if you aren't a Pentecostal person, you're at church, you're like, what just happened? Bear with me, okay? I'm going to unpack revival, what it means. Really, if I could just give you a little synopsis. Revival is sleepy Christians waking up. There are people who went to church once in a while, just kind of checked the box, but then something happened. God woke them up to their God-given birthright. They realized, man, I was sleepwalking through my promise, through my purpose, through everything God had for me, and for some reason, I woke up. Another thing that happens in revival is people who are far from God are near to God now. It's a lot of conversions. A lot of people get saved. Maybe you could say a 1,000 people get saved in a year and a half. Mission Church, come on now. I would submit to you, just maybe, just maybe, that God is doing something we call revival at our church. Can I just put it on the table? and Can you think about it? Just think about it, just think about it. Sometimes we, we normalize unhealth. Family's really unhealthy. The fight, and you just think that's normal, and then you walk into somebody else's house, like, oh, that's actually not how all houses work. Well, we normalize miracles also. Don't normalize what God's doing. It's an amazing thing to see what God's doing at Mission Church. No person can get credit for it. God's hand is on Mission Church. He's on the movement of the church, and he's doing something. Because when I talk to people about coming to our church, it's amazing. They're like, for some reason, i had been in the area for a long time, but then I just showed up one day, and I got saved. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got punked. And it's an amazing thing. <laughs> punk spiritually. It's a good kind of punk, okay? Anyways, so there's uh, uh, those things that mark revival. Another thing is just conviction of sin. There's a lot of conversions, a lot of change. And so if I could just share a little bit of history of different uh, uh, revivals, because I want to make sure I really paint the picture so you don't get lost in one method or one preference. Because revival is not a method and revival is not a preference. Revival is Jesus doing what he wants to do. And so uh, you have the Wesley revival in the 1700s. It was marked by John Wesley going outside and just preaching the gospel. be Like me going down to um, uh, Walnut Creek downtown and be right in front of Apple, being like, Jesus loves you, and just starting to preach. Basically preaching this and just people walking by. And for some reason, when Wesley was doing it, people would stop. And they would want to listen. And tons and tons of people got saved. The term came out of this, it was called Frontier Revival. And so basically some people adopted this and said, okay, this is how we're going to do revival now. It's called Frontier Revival. You're going to go into a city, you're going to put up a tent, and we're going to do evangelistic uh, exertion. We're going to evangelize like crazy, and we're going to try to create revival. Do you know the Bible talks about old wineskin and new wineskin? Yeah. And so what happens, people want to copy what Wesley was doing. Don't copy what Wesley's doing, just ask Jesus what he wants to do in the Bay Area. Yeah. And then you have the New York uh, City Revival in the 1800s, 1870s. the so 1870s, uh, 800,000 people are in New York. And for over two years, 80,000 people get saved. 10% of New York gets saved. It was marked by midday prayer. Midday prayer. And so what happens with a lot of people after they saw the revival in New York? Well, the way revival works is you do a noon prayer time from noon to two, and then your city too will get saved. No, no, no. Old wineskin. Ask God how he wants to do it in your city. Of course, prayer is always connected to revival. It's not a time of the day. And then the, the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s was marked by power and miracles. And so a, a movement called the Pentecostal Movement was birthed out of it. And if I'm being honest, I grew up in the Pentecostal Movement. Didn't know I grew up in it. I just walked into a church. I got saved. Lady next to me was speaking in tongues. I didn't know what she was doing. I was like, it was so crazy. I am out of here. And I was like, but I really like this church, so I'm gonna stand over here. And I'm like, another one's doing it. I gotta go over here. And so I just be like, worshiping. And so I found out that, like, okay, this is a church that was birthed out of the Zusa Street Revival, this, this denomination. But what happens is, is each revival starts to shape the theology. But revival should never shape theology. Theology should shape revival. Because what I would see happen in a lot of Pentecostal churches, and I can just speak from my own experience, is that a lot of them actually were obsessed with power and miracles more than they were obsessed with Jesus. We don't chase miracles. We chase Jesus and miracles follow. But what would happen a lot is that, that they would say, well, I mean, I, I, I know denominations that they would say you weren't even saved till you spoke in tongues. What? A Revival shaping your theology. Just because that happened in the revival where people started speaking in tongues, that doesn't mean a salvation issue. Your revival shaping your theology. I've been a part of denominations where you couldn't get licensed till you spoke in tongues. Where is that in the Bible? Here at our church, if I'm just being honest, maybe Jesus wants to do it through the Street right here. You'd be like, no, that's too messy for me. Well, go have a revival in a box then. Okay, good times. (laughs) Maybe you're like, the only way, I've heard this. people say, this is how you have revival. You preach the word, and then you just shut up. Just let the word do the work, you know, or or the Holy Spirit do the work. The word and the Holy Spirit, I mean, you can't really, it's a false dichotomy. You can't separate them. And so my my prayer is that we wouldn't tell God how we want to have revival here, but we would just be ready for it. Be ready to steward it, ready to receive it, ready to celebrate it. Because revival can look a lot of different ways. I mean, Spurgeon even talked about it. One of the ways revival looked in 1800s in England is that you'd walk in a room full of thousands of people and you would hear nothing except this <laughs> just somebody crying revival is marked by awe i call that the 845 service they're quiet they're so quiet so when i'm preaching i'm like oh you're just in awe of the spirit right now you're in awe of god it's not my preaching it's revival okay um but then there's other times revival is, it's just like you walk in and Acts 2, you see this revival and people are like, are these people drunk? Are they like, what is going on with these people? And Peter's like, they're not drunk. It's midday. This is the spirit. This, you're witnessing revival. And so when people come into our church sometimes, I love it. Even somebody last service was like, man, there was something in the room. Yeah, it's Jesus. It's the presence of God. Sometimes people come and they're like, man, like you guys worship a little too, a little too intense. Like am I at the club or am I at church? Both, you're welcome. All right. I believe that Jesus is the king of the party. I believe it. And the world tried to steal it, and we're taking it back and saying we're going to redeem the party. The church party is better than anybody else. Come on. Let's proceed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> turn your Bibles to Acts 11. Let's look at the Bible. So, so what I wanted to do was I wanted our theology to shape our view of revival. Not our revival to shape our, our theology. So I, I thought it would be a, amazing to go. Of course, you, could, you pick Acts 19, what happened in Ephesus. It's an amazing thing that happened in Ephesus. They turned it upside down. Sin became unprofitable. Acts 2, of course, is when the church birthed 3,000 people. It's an amazing thing. But Acts 11 is a really special chapter. It's when the Gentiles first heard the gospel get preached. It's the Gentile revival. And not only that, it's this amazing moment uh, that uh, we see in the Bible that was the first time they used the word Christians to describe us. And I even love what C.S. Lewis said about um, about the purpose of the church. He said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. And so if, if people don't recognize you as little Christ, as a Christian, not because you tell them, it's such a flippant word. That, oh, I'm a Christian. means nothing. It's gonna mean something in the Bay Area when we see revival. So Acts 11, turn your Bibles there, here we go. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Stop. Every revival, you'll see this theologically, the word of God is preached. The, the Word of God, you're going to see the Word of God go forth and people responding to it. It's just a part of it. The, the Bible shows how beautiful are the good news that bring the Word of God. I love what it says in Psalm 19, uh, 119, Psalm 197. It says, the law of the Lord, the, the Word of God, is perfect, reviving the soul. If you're lackluster right now in your walk, if your marriage is lackluster, start reading your Bible. Start reading your Bible with your spouse. Your kids, are uh, the family's off, start reading your Bible with your family. Watch it revive your soul. I'm, that's not my idea, that's the Bible goes on to say that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I don't know if I ever told you this. I don't think I did because I'm pretty ashamed of it. Uh, every time I told Rachel I love her, nope, because it's one of my like weird moments of my life. So uh, we, we dated for five minutes, five months. We broke up for eight months, got back together. I remember showing up at her door telling her, girl, I love you. I want to marry you. I didn't say I love you at the moment. I said, girl, I want to marry you. Give me a chance to date you. Rachel said, let me pray about it uh, uh, for a couple of weeks. I was like, yeah, go ahead and pray about it. I'll see you in two weeks. We got this. Um, I was pretty confident. Okay. Um, and so Rachel uh, came back two weeks. I prayed about, let's give this a shot. I was like, oh, thank goodness, I'm so worried. Um, so we start dating, we start dating. And it's just going so well, so well. And it was one of those moments and we were sitting there watching a movie and we were just cuddling and I looked at her and I was like, Rachel, and she's like, yeah, I love you. And she looks at me, and she goes, thank you. Mmm, Just like the movies, feels like a warm hug. She didn't tell me she would love me back for another week, okay? Later on, I mean, you can't, and when you're dating, you can't be like, why did you say that, you know? Play it cool, and I'm like, all right. And so later on, we're married, like, why didn't you tell me you loved me back? And she said, I had to know it was real. I had to know it was real. And if I could just be honest, a lot of people in culture today, they need to know that Christianity is real. That we can say, Jesus loves you. Thank you. Okay. Man, they don't need just to hear it, they need to see it. Because the gospel is not just something to be preached. It's something that is transformative. It is not a self-help book. It is a life transforming. Your life becomes something different. You become a different person. And because of it, people go, man, if Jesus did that for you, he could do it for me because you were even a bigger wreck than I was. That's what's happening in this time. If you knew the book of Acts and Acts 11, there are pagan worship, idol worship, uh, prostitutes, you name it. All these people were hearing the word of God. They would get saved and people were like, dang it, that girl got saved? I can get saved. Like at the church show right now, people don't even know. Like no, nobody shares their junk. Nobody shares anything anymore. So when they get saved, they're like, well, you're probably good. And now you just just a little better. That's not the gospel. Gospel takes dead people and brings them to life. It takes broken people that were unmade by this world and they get remade by the power of God. Let's keep going. So that's one of the things that uh, will mark it. Uh, another thing is, uh, it goes on to say, the Lord hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. It says that the, the God's hand was on the church. It was on the movement of this thing. Now, just picture this real quick. And I hear this a lot. Like people are like, man, I've been living here for eight years. And I didn't go for church for five years. And for some reason, I just started walking to Mission Church. And I walked in. I don't even know I was here at Mission Church. And then I started worshiping. And then I started crying. I got saved. Can I tell you what you had? The hand of God was on your back. <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, this season, God decided to call you home. For some reason, he said, there's a new lamp stand in the East Bay called Mission Church, and you're going to go hear the gospel message. Yeah. This is what happens when the hand of God is on the church. One of my favorite pastors, Timothy Keller, he was in Virginia for nine years. Didn't see any conversions, really. Didn't see a lot of people come to the Lord. There's a few hundred people. He goes to New York, plants Redeemer Presbyterian, becomes 10,000, 1,000 people in about a year and a half. Same guy, same gifted communicator. Here's the difference. The hand of God was on Redeemer Press. Yeah. So if you could just hear me real quick. If you want to see the things of God revive your life, you cannot manufacture it. You just say, God, can I have your hand? Can you lift what I can't lift? Can you move what I can't move? Can you you restore? Can you do some surgery with your hand that I can never do? The hand of God will mark a revival. Man will not get credit for a revival. News on this reached the church in Jerusalem. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. That's where I want to really stick today. So people started talking about it. People started going, did you hear what happened? People are getting saved like crazy. And because they're getting saved like crazy, there's two other things that happened. I want to encourage you to read it when you go home. The two other big things that happened was leaders felt called to steward the revival. So Barnabas, one of the big guns, comes in and says, I'm here to steward this revival. I'm going to go get Paul. You know Paul is. He wrote most of the New Testament. He goes and gets Paul, and they help steward the first Gentile revival. Leaders are called to it. If you are somebody who's already saved, you came to our church, I want you to know something real quick. You are called to steward this revival with us. You're not called to just to be a part of the crowd. You're not called just to be here. I believe God has directed your steps to say, there are a thousand plus salvations already here at this church. We need a lot of disciples to make disciples. Yeah, this, this is your calling. And last but not least, there's this word the, uh, that happens where there's gonna be a famine and uh, the Nile. actually the Roman empire is gonna be decimated. Uh, poverty, when it hits, it inconveniences the rich and decimates the poor. And so the Nile River got flooded. It hurt the Roman Empire. And so the church stepped up with generosity. You'll see radical generosity when a revival happens. The church is always stepping up when people have need, when poverty hits. And can I be real? You know one of the biggest poverty things we have in our region? Of course, we're in the most affluent region of the U.S. But, man, we got relational poverty. we got mental poverty. we got emotional poverty. So many different things that the only answer to those is not a practical solution, but a spiritual solution. His name is Jesus. So I want to use... uh, a thought with you of when news reaches people because we can't manufacture revival. We can't manufacture it. So uh, this message isn't like, here's how, we're, here's how we're gonna make revival. That's not what I'm trying to do. But when revival is happening, I'd just like to submit to you, I believe that God is up to something right now and this is just a taste of what he's gonna do. I believe it's just not for Mission Church either. I believe that there's never been a Bay Area revival. Why not now? Yeah. You can see it. God, God's up to something. So when the revival starts to happen, that we would be ready to steward it. Stewardship is throughout the Bible, not leadership, stewardship. So when God pours out revival, is there a church ready to say, God, we get it, we're ready to steward it? So here are three words to keep your ears open for you to understand that revival is coming and revival is happening. Does that sound good? One of the words in revival is simply this. Revival brings change. So you're going to hear language like this. You've changed. You ever, you ever get saved and somebody's like, man, you just got stuck up. You are so changed. You stuck up. No, I'm not stuck up. I'm unstuck, actually, and I've moved on. I was in bondage around a mountain, and now I'm moving on. I've changed. And if I could just be real, I I remember one of my childhood best friends getting saved. And we're talking like save, save. He was uh, the point guard on our basketball team. He was uh, uh, smoking weed, drinking. Uh, He was, I mean, sleeping around, everything, you name it. He was my best friend. (laughs) My best friend. Now, just to give you context of our school, uh, Rogers High School was uh, unbelievably promiscuous, very dark campus. Uh, We had a big, big high school, about 3,000. We did a blood drive, 60% of our blood drive was rejected from STDs. Um, On my basketball, (laughs) uh, um, you meet somebody from Rogers High School, just give them a wave, okay? Don't even give them a dab, like, hey, get get out of here. Me and my basketball team, there was 12 people, and me and the Mormon kid were the only virgins on the basketball team, that's it. He couldn't leave the house after three o'clock, I just was dating a good girl, wasn't by choice, but I was the last one, okay? Um, So 10, uh, and so it was just very common to sleep around. And so Drew goes to this basically tent revival thing, a guy traveling around preaching the name of Jesus, he gets invited to it and gets saved saved. I mean like balling his head off, comes to school the next day with a Bible in his hand. And i was like, what, bro, what are you doing? Put that away. He might as well have like, 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 some, like something indecent on him. I was like, bro, people can't see you carrying that. He's like, bro, I got saved. They gave me a Bible at it. And I'm like, no, but put it in your backpack. He's like, no, like, he's like, he's like it's, it's amazing. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I remember I was the sleepy Christian. I didn't say, but I was asleep. Go to church once in a while. Worship was boring to me. I love my Tupac. I didn't love my jars of clay. This is my seasonal life. Okay? You know, if you know, you know, okay and so I remember when Drew decided to break up with his girlfriend it was about four months in and he knew that she wasn't the one he was sleeping around and he felt like he needed to end it and so change started to happen and and Dr. Henry Cloud in Necessary Endings unpacks it so better just so well it's just eloquent the way he says it but basically what he says is for you to say hello to new beginnings you need to say goodbye to past things so Drew was basically saying, goodbye to lust. Yes, to purity. Goodbye to me living for myself and hello to me living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It says this that was happening in the early church. The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in uh, in every way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. And so you, you look at this moment and you're like, how does this birth, what does it look like? John 17, 19, put it on the screen. It's this amazing moment. It's when Jesus comes on the scene, he's praying for the church, he's talking about the church and the church is not a building, it's you and I. So he's talking about us. And he says, I've sanctified myself for my bride. And it goes on to say very simply, to may, you, uh, to may be truly sanctified. Well, let's read that again. Uh, <laughs> Mean not know how I read, uh, for, for to he, to him, oh, them, for them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You read that, and you're like, okay, sanctify, sanctify. Let me just, let me take out the, the big Christian word of sanctification, vivification, mortification, transforming, the renewing, all kind of stuff. Sanctified in this context, this is what Jesus is saying. I set myself apart for the bride of for the bride, the church. Jesus said, I'm setting my, my purpose, why I'm here. I'm setting myself apart to be sanctified for you so that you may set yourself apart to be sanctified for me. So, 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 so what does that look like? Thank you, thank you. So what does that look like? Let's, let's use a simple picture. The picture God gives of who he is is living water. So water flowing, water satisfying, water cleans. Water refreshes. So he says to the woman at the well, John 4, I might use this next week, so whatever. But, um, but he basically talks about living water. And the church, we're not the water. We're the pipe. We're the vehicle God chooses to flow through. We're designed for living water to flow through our life. Not to get to our life, but to flow through our life. And so what happens a lot, and that's why we're even fasting, is have you ever seen a clogged pipe? When it doesn't do what it's intended to do, it just throws everything off. You ever had a clogged toilet? You ever had a clogged sink? What happens is things that should be moving stop moving, and it starts going backwards instead of forwards. And some of you this last season, you've been going backwards because you aren't actually living the life you were called to live. Everything's clogged up. Everything's taken over by the world. Everything's consumed by the world. And Jesus comes along and says, I want you to sanctify your life, to be a vessel for me to come to you and through you. Because that's what I did for you. He died on the cross so we could say yes to that privilege. This is a sign of revival. Change. It's going to change you. Why, Why does change happen? Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit shows up and the Holy Spirit brings conviction. It just, it changes things in you. Things that I'd watch Drew not feel bad about at all and I'm just being honest. I would have never, ever, ever, ever trusted him with my girlfriend. He was that bad of a dude. And then he'd be becomes this Christian. And now I'm the the, we're the godparents of his kids. He's a pastor in Church of Florida, he'll be preaching here in March. And now he's like the most integrous person ever. How does that happen? Revival. He gets changed. And if I could just submit to you real quick, don't be afraid of the change. Don't be afraid of the conviction. Don't ignore the conviction. Allow it to do what it's supposed to do in your life. And what happens a lot too though is we we kind of we get judgmental with people's convictions and we get freaked out by the convictions. And so for Drew, when he was having his convictions, people were freaked out by it, they thought it was weird. So I waited till I was married. Rachel and I, 29, both waited for each other. It is possible, can I get an amen for that? Come on now, that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing, it's an amazing thing. I can't take complete credit, I tried, and then I said, okay, never mind, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll be pure. Just to be real, high school was not dialed in, but the Lord protected me, and then I just said, okay, Lord, I, I declare, uh, I'm gonna wait for my wife. I actually said I wasn't gonna, get, I wasn't gonna kiss until I got married. I was like decent looking, I thought. So I thought I'd get married like 21. 10 years later, I met Rachel. I didn't kiss for 10 years. Don't make that day. Okay, okay, oh, yes. um, yeah. You may kiss the bride. Okay, here we go. Um, I haven't kissed in 10 years. Um, let's keep going. Uh, so <laughs> bizarro world, bizarro world. Let's just get back on track. I didn't use that last service. This is a 1015 service. I'm a little more reckless, okay? Uh, Lord, help us. Bizarro World is this uh, alternate universe in the DC comic books. And basically, it's the opposite of the normal world. And they have like this creed. They have this ethos. And in Bizarro World, it basically says, us do opposite of earthly things. Us hate beautiful. Us love ugliness. It is a crime to make things good. Bizarro World. Superman gets arrested for doing something good in Bizarro World. And so when Drew started deciding to be different from the world, decided to be different and have change in life, people thought it was bizarre and weird and they marked them weird. Be ready for you to make some decisions that people not to understand it because you live in a bizarre world. Because right now our culture does not know how to celebrate purity, doesn't know how to celebrate reconciliation, doesn't know how to celebrate those things. It knows how to celebrate sin. The world celebrates sin, the Lord convicts sin. And conviction isn't some like, how dare you? You know what conviction is? It's pointing to what could be and should be in your life. Conviction is not pointing to your bondage. Conviction is pointing to you could have freedom. Conviction isn't pointing to what you did do. It's pointing to look what God could do in your life. And so you mourn over it. Why would I live this way when God designed me to live this way? Why would I be here when God's called me to be here? Oh, you would mourn over that. And so conviction comes. I'll never forget my grandma got saved. And just to be real, this is a pastoral moment because people are gonna start getting convicted in our church, they're gonna start making decisions and I want us to be able to operate together with convictions. So my grandma gets saved. And now my grandma, love my grandma. My grandma uh, was a hoarder. She would just uh, uh, like basically like um, buy like 50 pans. If she liked pans, she'd start like collecting pans. Well, there was one great thing because she hoarded. She collected Star Wars memorabilia. (laughs) So one of the bedrooms is all Star Wars stuff. So I'd go over there, and there'd be, like, a new, like, Millennium Falcon and Boba Fett. I mean, you name it. A bunch of Mandalorians, you know, you name it. No Baby Yoda yet, I wish. Um, But uh, there was a bunch of, you know, Luke Skywalker, a bunch of action figures. Some weren't even opened up yet. And then I remember coming over, and I was, like, eight or nine years old, and I remember walking in the room. My grandma just recently got saved, and I walk in the room with all the Star Wars stuff, and it's empty. And I was like, Grandma! Where's the Millennium Falcon? Where's Luke Skywalker? Where's my Where's the toys? And my grandma's like, I got saved, and the Jedi Force is evil, so I threw it all away. <laughs> you did but Luke wasn't evil. He was, he born to the Force, you know, like Jedi before him. Why would you do this to Luke? Give me Luke. You could throw away Darth Vader, but not Luke, you know. Throws away all of it. And for the longest time, I didn't understand, why would my grandma throw away Star Wars? Get older. Hear my grandma's testimony. Before she was saved, she would go to mediums, psychics, sorcerers, you name it. And so when she got saved, she had this conviction this morning of, I don't want to have anything to deal with. that's just anything like that. And so the Jedi Force must go. (laughs) It's her conviction, not mine. I never went to mediums. never went to sorcerers. never went to psychics. Next time, Graham, don't throw them away. Give them to the person that could steward the Millennium Falcon. (laughs) I could steward Luke Skywalker for you. I'll be the trash can. You know what I'm saying? But what would happen... In the church today, if I'm just being honest, some people, they get saved and they get this conviction and they go, man, alcohol, it's evil and it's terrible. That TV show, evil and terrible. Friends, literally, I've been like, people have convicted me or like try to convict me like they're my Holy Spirit that Friends is an evil show. I'm here to say today I'll watch Friends. And the Lord has not convicted my spirit yet not to watch Friends. My wife grew up watching her whole family drink alcohol so responsibly. I watched my family destroy themselves with alcohol. Marriages, lives, you name it. I was 13 years old and one of my uncles got me a 40 ounce Heineken for my Christmas present. Mom wouldn't let me drink it. It's my own present, give it back to me. Just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I feel like my uncle bought it for me so he could have it back. I don't know. Anyways, so Merry Christmas kid. Oh, we can't have it? Oh, well, my luck I guess. Merry Christmas to me. Uh, anyways, thanks uncle. So anyways, so, uh, I never, I never touched alcohol. I thought it was like from the depths of hell. And so people who did drink, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Well, God's going to open your eyes up one day. <laughs> Thinner. <laughs> and then I married somebody who drank alcohol as my wife. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And I watched Rachel just navigate it. Like, she'd have a drink of wine once a month maybe. It was so, like, I was like, how, how do you, it's, like, it's just a glass of wine. It's not like, like you know, it's not like some evil like, thing. It's just a glass of wine, Tyler. And so I remember like year three, like, okay, I can have a sip of wine. Is, is wine really that bad? And I remember praying about it and now I'll have wine once in a while. I don't think it's super evil. If you start getting drunk, I'll talk to you. Bible says being drunk is bad. It's terrible. You Start going to the club and sleeping around. I'm gonna talk to you. But when people have their own convictions, if somebody needs to get rid of alcohol in Star Wars, just let them get rid of alcohol in Star Wars. Just make sure they give you the wine and give me the Star Wars, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm It's a nice 2013 cab. Here you go. Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Let's keep going. Convictions and change will mark the church. Another thing that will mark the church is community. Community will mark the church. And so what I mean by community is, you'll see this, people when they come to church, they're not looking for a friendly church, they're looking for friends. They're literally looking for relationship. And so what happens when the church comes in, if I could just be real, is we do, we live in a society that doesn't know how to do relationships correctly because the society did not create relationships, God created relationships. And so when you do actually relationships the way God called you to do it, with his breath on it, He says he knits relationships together, that God actually knits friendships together. Have you ever met somebody like, I, for some reason I like that person? I feel like that's God even speaking to your spirit, like that person is somebody that I'm knitting. Now, if they don't speak to that person to be your friend, just leave them alone. Okay? <laughs> go, go find somebody else. But, but what happens a lot in the church is that the Lord literally knits people together, friendships together. And so what happened in, in the revival in Acts 11, Acts 2, you name it, a whole a big block of Acts 2 is committed to the community of God. It says they devoted themselves to relationship. Community revival could look like a church that's a year and a half old and have over 450 people in small groups. Community is is something that God values because the Trinity is community. And so, so my prayer today is that if you are not in community right now, you're missing out on one of the greatest fruits of revival. And one of the things I love hearing about our church is, man, there's just so much community there. I didn't have any relationship, and now I have relationship. One of, my, one of my favorite things about uh, Acts 11 is if you do the study of where they were at and what was happening, there was 18 different classes and races. And what would happen is they would get in a lot of fights. And because they were getting a lot of fights, Rome decided to build walls to stop them from fighting. So you actually excavate, you look at this, there was literally walls that would, would literally separate people. The gospel comes in. Practical way to figure out how to stop fighting, just build some walls. Spiritual solution, gospel comes in these people are tearing down walls so they can worship together. When the gospel is preached, when a revival happens, walls get torn down that you never thought could be torn down. Republicans and Democrats worship together. Can I get an amen? Fox News is next to MSNBC and they love the Lord. Come on now. Because the practical thing is, if you believe that, get out. If I believe that, get out. But the biblical thing is, uh, if I could just put it this way, it, it is devastating to see how divided the church is at times. Let's stop talking about people and start talking to people. That's what was happening in revival. There are people at our church. I have no idea. This is just how many people go to church. There's probably a few people at our church that are mad at me or frustrated with me. Not because of anything I said to them, but because of something they heard secondhand from somebody else. It's so sad to me that there's division in the church, not because of anything that happened relationally, but because, to be honest, when revival is there, reconciliation's there. When the enemy's there, division is there. Man, I want a, a church that reconciles. I want a church that talks to each other, not about each other. Does that sound good? Yeah. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish with this last point. Revival brings ridiculous generosity. Ridiculous generosity. So you look at this, Acts 2, Acts 11, Acts 19. Even Mark, uh, in the book of Mark, Mark 14, this woman gets revived. Her, her life is revived. Like she goes from death to life. She goes from broken, used, to being somebody of value. And she takes her most valuable thing, and it's is perfume, and she pours it over Jesus' feet. It's this ridiculous generosity. And people who have not been revived question the generosity. Because revived people will never understand why you're being so generous with your time and resources. People who aren't revived are going to be like, what are you doing? Again, because the world is going to give their body to everybody, but their finances to nobody. But the church, when it came to life, it gave their body to nobody. Chastity was a big thing, but their money to almost everybody. They became financially promiscuous, if I could put it that way. They started just pouring out their finances to t- take care of things. Acts 6, there is not a goods problem, there's a distribution problem. So many goods that Peter has to figure out a new way to program the church so the, the provision of God can get to the people. And I want a distribution problem at Mission Church, not a goods problem at Mission Church. Amen. Because the, the, the good problem and the distribution problem is this. Man, we want more people serving at our church. Be generous with your time. I believe that when you get revived, you just want to start serving your church. I'll, I'll never forget, even when I first started going to church, I, I, God was reviving my life. I was stingy with my money at the time. And I remember the first time I gave to church. God started moving my heart. I loved the house. My life was transformed in the house. And they needed to actually uh, restore the, the roof. And so I gave $100 of my $1,000 I was making when I was going uh, to school at the time. Not a lot, but to me, I felt like a billion dollars, and I felt really good about myself. I was like a vision giver, like, "Okay, if I know where it's going to go, I'll give you some money." So I gave the hundred dollars to the roof, and I felt really good about myself. I was like, "You're welcome, you're welcome, P Foursquare. Square. Call me if you need anything else. I'll be around." You know what I'm saying? Sure, the roof cost eighty-five grand, but I did it. You're welcome. And then, and then I got mad at the church for a season, and I became a need giver. And a need giver is this, church isn't taking care of any of the poor people in the world, you are not. Giving, you just got a new screen, I'm done giving you my money, I'm gonna give my money to things outside the church because I'm gonna take care of needs because the church, whatever, it's got enough money. And my spirit got toxic to an extent because you know what that is? It's just control. It's judgmental, it's not the spirit of God. Whenever we're trying to control, even when you look at like when the woman pours out the, the perfume, the only one that has a bad spirit towards money is Judas who betrays God for money and is stealing money. So whenever you see generosity, you don't respond well, you gotta check your spirit. And so I started having a bad spirit, I started getting toxic because I wanted to be the boss. I was sitting in the judgment seat and God never called me to sit in the judgment seat. He called me to be a servant of the kingdom. And so then I became a generous, obedient giver. It was the greatest thing that could ever happen to my soul. I just love giving. I'll, 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 it's just one, something that's just a part of us. Did you know the last six months of our church, we've given away $90,000? That's amazing, that's amazing. Some of you in the room might be doing this right now. What are you doing giving away $90,000? I want to sow the spirit. Because generosity is not a numbers thing. It's a spirit thing. And I believe that our church, we're going to be a generous church. I didn't give away 90 grand. No, you did. Because the people who gave to this church, when you give, we give. We gave to the school. We gave to church plants. We gave to mission trips. We gave to nonprofits because we believe that this church is not a cul-de-sac, but it's a river that flows through us. That... That's the purpose of the church. So if I could just submit a dream to you, as this church gets revived, I believe the speed of the church of accomplishing the vision of what God has for the church, it's connected to the givers. You see it through acts and you see it throughout history. My dream is that by year 10, that our building would be paid off. Tyler, we don't have a building. I know, but we're gonna get a building. I believe this. Do not be troubled Tyler, believe God. Okay, come on, come on. I believe we're gonna have a building. I love the blue stage, I really do. I love showing up with new things on the stage all the time, it's great. But I'm excited for us to have a home. Not a place just to meet on Sundays, but a place to actually reach the city to be a lighthouse on the hill. And my dream is that we pay our church off in 10 years. And of course we give gifts throughout those 10 years, and we give those 10 years. But by year 10, we've paid off the house. And what do you do for that next 20 years? You go build new houses for people to get saved in. You go build orphanages. You drop checks into people's laps that they've been praying for. And they said, man, we've always wanted an orphanage. How in the world did a church like this drop a million dollars in our lap? Because we've learned that the spirit of generosity is in our house. There's people in our house that gave, and now we get to give. Don't give to get the credit. Can I just tell you real quick? Don't give to get the credit. Let Jesus get all the credit. And the church is his vehicle where he gets all the credit. The church is the vehicle where he gets all the credit. There's no other name on it. It's his church, it's his plan, it's his purpose. So when you give to the church, I'm not getting the credit for it. Jesus gets the credit for it. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.